Hello and welcome to Hymnscast. I'm your host, Jonah Comstock. I'm here with Harry Glorickian, the author of Moneyball Medicine, and we're going to talk a little bit about value-based care, data-driven healthcare, all these trends that uh, Harry has been tracking and was writing about, and how these things have changed and been affected by the COVID-19 crisis and the moment that healthcare is finding itself in. Welcome to the show, Harry. Thank you very much for having me. So Moneyball Medicine, am I right this came out a couple years ago? Yep. Yeah, it's a, it's a couple years old at this point, but it's it's interesting. You know, people will read it and be like, I didn't know this was happening. Um, so I think in, in some ways it's, it's still new uh, for a lot of people. And then for a very select few, it's probably, you know, uh, a little bit older at some point. I loved it. I thought it was a great kind of overview of several of the different trends that are coming together to change healthcare right now. Um, what was the what prompted you to to write this book in the first place? Um, well, it's you know before it even came out, I was I was working on it five years before that. Just basically, you know, once the reinvestment and recovery act got put into place, and then. Uh, you know, you saw the larger institutions uh, as well as the smaller institutions and, and individual practices move to a health record and everything was going to be digitized. It was like, OK, this is when everything is going to actually start to change, uh, getting everything into a digital format. And I thought as these waves of data start coming through, we're going to see these waves of change start to happen because people are going to see things in the data that's going to prompt them to, uh, you know, make different decisions. Um, And data was going to be more relevant rather than just the gut feel from, you know, the physician. So how has that panned out? Have we started to see that happening? Yeah, I think more and more. I mean, I think, you know, one of the, the, the most prominent areas that, you know, most people may not even know about is obviously is uh, uh, genomics-based medicine, right, where we're using biomarkers and so forth to understand what therapies might have a stronger effect on treating a patient. Um, but, you know, you're starting to see uh, AI and, and data start to seep into almost every facet of healthcare at this point, radiology, pathology, um, you know, the critical care uh, monitoring of, of all the boops and beeps that go on there and what's relevant and not being able to predict something before it happens. You're starting to see a lot of it drive forward. Um, it is, uh, it, it's not a uniform, <laughs> uh, you know, acceptance out there. Um, but at the same time, I think what you said earlier, which is sort of value-based medicine, is also driving the need for it. If you're paying on outcomes, you actually need to measure how everybody's doing and how everything is doing to understand whether you're doing better or not. Right. Uh, and it seems like a lot of things in in healthcare right now, in healthcare technology, and in, in these different trends, precision medicine, value-based care, uh, have sort of been on the cusp of, of wide adoption and, and of, you know, of real kind of moving the needle, as they say. Um, and I think that's one of the things that's so interesting and exciting about uh, this kind of moment that's been spurred on by the pandemic is the question of 
you know, are these things that have been incubating, you know, is this going to be what finally kind of kicks them into high gear? I mean, telehealth being sort of the, the strongest, most obvious example. But I wonder, you know, as you've been seeing how the world has reacted to this pandemic and to, you know, the requirement of having to do medicine while avoiding contact as much as possible, have you seen some of the things that you wrote about starting to to come to pass more because of this? Well, the institutions that I think were ready um, or at least had the beginning pieces of it, right? So once you once you have some experience with it, scaling becomes a little bit easier, right? Um, there's a lot of groups that had nothing and this has really, you know, caused a lot of havoc. Um, especially because if you think about it, you're already losing, you're hemorrhaging cash, right? Because you've got a staff and you don't have patients and now you have to invest in technology to help you get back patients. So it's, it's a little bit of a, the rollout was not ideal. Let's just put it that way. Um, for the institutions that already have it, and they could really sort of turn on the scaling, much easier to put in place. Um, I'm sure there's still a learning curve for a lot of their physicians, but not as big of a mountain to climb as, say, as if you're starting from complete scratch. Um, but, but I think that because COVID is not going to go away overnight, uh, that we're going to see some of this stuff stick more because the durability of this pandemic is is something that you know is in place and you know i think the biggest shifts have been the regulatory shackles that were taken off um i think in some ways they were probably taken off a little bit too much there there but so i expect some pullback on it um like Will I be able to use Zoom or do I need to use something that's more HIPAA compliant? Do, you know, there will be pieces of it that I think could be fixed, uh, but I'm not expecting this to go away anytime soon. So let's kind of let's talk specifics. Um, you know, in, in your book, you laid out sort of several different trends that uh, certainly don't work separately they, they they all work together um to create kind of the the direction that we're moving in healthcare. um so you, you talk about uh precision medicine about price and cost transparency about uh value-based care digital health and kind of other uses for data around drug development um and that's that's just a few things, but um, <laughs> you know, as, as you think about these different pieces, um, what do you think is is which ones are are you seeing the most effect here from this current crisis in this current moment? Wow, um, I would say that the digital health is probably you know uh, one of the ones that's moving pretty fast in a sense of. I've got patients, I need to see something that's got to do with their health. Um, actually, I was just talking to two of my doctor friends yesterday and, you know, they were wondering like, you know, how is the, you know, patient going to get blood pressure and how's the patient going to get this, right? And I was like, well, the insurance company could send them, you know, a box and 
you know, if they're not coming in for visits as much, right? So there's a cost time savings management, you know, equation there that that should, and I haven't done the math, right? But should show that there's a cost savings to just getting them a way to monitor themselves. Um, you know, the other area is, I think on the clinical trial side, there is a lot of, uh, movement towards how do I, if I, if I can't see patients, how am I going to do my clinical trial? Um, and, uh, you know, so what, what digitization strategy can we implement, uh, that can help us get there? And I think there's a lot of work being done there to understand what can be implemented and what can't, um, so I think everybody's looking out on the digital frontier to understand how they can go forward. I think on the price transparency, um, value-based shift, I think that's all gonna be driven by the federal government uh, more than the industry itself. Uh, I think they can move that sort of as fast as they want to. Um, I've heard there's been a little bit of pullback on the whole value-based movement because of the current COVID dynamic. Um, I don't think there needs to be any pullback on price transparency, but if you were a medical institution, would you want all your prices out there? Probably not. No, I mean, there's a whole lot of misaligned incentives, which is one of the things that you talk about. Um, And, and, you know, the current climate, it's it's hard to make it so that the people who have the control over price transparency are actually incentivized to to provide it right yeah and and people think that you know healthcare is a competitive free market and i would tell you that that's there's no way it's a free market right you get hit by a car you go to the local hospital you it is what it is um you don't get to sort of value shop and if you know if you did want to value shop where's the data to show you how much something costs versus one institution versus another? And then the quality metrics of how do you judge quality? But for every other thing that we buy in our lives, you probably can find what's the pricing and what are the quality metrics, and then you can make an informed decision. So what do you think it would take to you know, to change that. I mean, you said the federal government, you said the kind of the balls in their court. Um, why is that? And and what is it that they can do that, that nobody else can do? Well, first of all, they are the largest, you know, they are the largest payer, single payer in the, in the system, right? And so money talks in this market. And so if that shifts in a particular direction, um, you tend to see that the individual insurers will be like, well, they got a great deal. I want the same great deal. Um, and so you're seeing it migrate in that direction. You've noticed that, uh, CMS has sort of been pushing in this direction. And I've always said, like, if Washington just leaves that alone and doesn't screw that up, we'll actually end up in a good place, not necessarily by the master design, but just because it's migrating in that direction. Um, but I don't think that you can leave it up to individual institutions about price transparency or even states on price transparency. It has to be a nationally driven uh, program that 
everybody needs to make it transparent. CMS needs to publish their data, right? So that people can do their analytics on it. Um, and, you know, you can see all sorts of businesses actually popping up because of this. I mean, if you think about Yelp, it was, you know, Google Maps, addresses, restaurants, um, you know, uh, you've got ways to rate them, and all of a sudden you've got a different way of looking at these places that might be around you, and you can look at their ratings and decide whether you want to go there or you want to go there. And, you know, we want the medical rating system to be better than Yelp, but you get the idea of if, if, if the patient doesn't have the information, how can you ever expect them to take more responsibility for their own health care? One thing I noticed this year with the, during the primaries, um, you know, the Democratic primary, uh, there was so much conversation about health care and so little conversation about these things, about value-based care, about price transparency, about sort of the, the actual problems that people in the industry have, you know, have identified as sort of the, the root of our out-of-control costs. And instead, the conversation was just about who's going to pay. You know, is it, is it private health care? Is it socialized health care? Um, but there's this whole question of it's, it's not about who pays, it's about, you know, how much they're paying and why they're paying way too much. And that, that conversation just felt to me like it was missing from the sort of national conversation we were having from health care, which really just kind of blows my mind. Well, I think it, it, you know, first of all, everybody wants something that sounds good in sound bites and, you know, is sensationalized in some way. Um, I think there's a fundamental misunderstanding of the drivers that change industries. Um, you know, everybody keeps jumping up and down about, you know, insurance, 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 and things cost too much and so on and so forth. But there's this grand assumption that everything works on the competitive basis that all the other industries in the world work on. And healthcare does not function on the same competitive dynamics. And so if you don't move to pay uh, to paying for outcomes, you will never put in all the technology and measurement platforms that will constantly be improving, right? It, we're, we're talking about a system where I get paid no matter what. Mm -hmm. Right. If you think about an electronic me medical record, which, by the way, if anything is going to be the downfall of healthcare, it will be the electronic medical record systems because they're just not designed for managing they're designed patients. For billing, they're, de right? they're designed for billing. Exactly. And this is going to cause unbelievable heartache for the systems that are trying to transform themselves. Um, but if you... If you think about it, when the Japanese came out with a better car, Detroit had to retool, put in new ways of measuring uh, quality, uh, constantly be improving on themselves because com competition came into the market. Healthcare is not competitive. So unless you change the way that the system is paid, you will not get this increase in productivity right, that you would naturally expect, unless you end up with potentially systems like Geisinger, which is not just a provider, but a payer. 
So they make investments in themselves because they want to do it. They, they want to have the best outcomes possible so that the patient is using the system the least and they can collect on the premiums, right? So uh, incentives are aligned. Right. Or, or when you have an ins- similar with like a Kaiser Permanente, right? Correct. If you have an, in- if you're an insurer, right? You want paperwork to cross the table as much as possible, right? You're still collecting your premiums. And if the, if the hospital raises its rates, you raise your rates. You're always making, it's a great position to be in, right? But if you notice with the Affordable Care Act and a shift to value-based medicine, insurers have been moving into the whole uh, provider world. Right. You know, Aetna and CVS is, is going to be a, a great experiment, right? We're going to see if they're going to be able to make this shift to keeping you healthy. And the more they keep you healthy and you pay your premiums and not have to go into the system because of a big problem, you know, they win. Well, you win as a patient because you're healthy, but they win as a business because they're profiting. Yeah, I think it's exciting to see, you know, little islands where we can see this working um, to various degrees. But it, it all gets back to that that question of, you know, when scale, when, you know, a, a real change in kind of how we pay for healthcare at the country level. Well, I don't know about, you know, that that sort of issue is something that I always hope that um, congressmen and senators will, you know, will read the, the, the one or two chapters of the book that sort of focus on that so that they would take a different view on it rather than just thinking about insurance, right? Because it's very myopic to think about it just through that single lens. Um, it's almost like everybody's trying to run at the wall head on instead of trying to think of going under it or around it or over it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but if you talk about change, it's 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 interesting. I think what you're going to notice is um, changes happening in sort of, you know when you put the frog in the water and you sort of slowly turn up the heat? Right. The next thing you know, the frog is boiling, Right. I think what you're going to notice is you're going to notice a change like that, right? People putting in systems and technologies that allow either remote patient monitoring or CVS to see someone at a uh, regional institution as opposed to going into a, uh, a, a major hospital, right? You're going to see technology also make a, make a, a dramatic impact on the business models, whereas we don't necessarily, once you digitize something, you don't have to necessarily do the business model the exact same way, which is what I talk to all of the companies that we, we, we look at from an investment perspective is, my first question is usually, do we have to do it the same way we've always done it? Once we've digitized, is there a different model we can think about that brings something to market? And if the answer is no, I already know the existing model. If the answer is yes, let's explore it and let's think about a different way to to come at this. That sort of reminds me of a, a conversation that's been happening over the years about telehealth, um, you know, where some people say it's all about video visits and we'll replicate the experience people are used to as much as we can. And and other people say that's, you know, that's just your, 
doing exactly what you just said. You're keeping the old analog business model and just digitizing it. Whereas you could do asynchronous care. You know, you could keep in touch with people by chat. You could, there's all these, this whole world of sort of actually radically different care that isn't just a, a video visit uh, that's the closest digital approximation we can get to a physical visit. No, if you think about, I mean, it, the, the shift could be and probably will be dramatic in a sense of you go into a regional minute clinic or pick your place of choice. Um, I have uh, an optical uh, uh, scan and it does 50 different diseases that it identifies. It sees something is wrong and all of a sudden they say, you know, uh, please come with us. The teledoc will wants to talk to you about your results. So I fulfilled all the requirements. I've done the test. It's a validated test. I actually put you in front of a doctor, right? And all of a sudden you're managed and you never had to go into the white ivory tower. And if the scan came clean, you don't have to waste the time seeing the teledoc and the teledoc doesn't have to waste the time seeing you. So that's one option. The other option is you're at home and Siri or Alexa are constantly monitoring, you know, what's going on there. And um, you're wearing an Apple watch and you've got your scale and, um, you know, all the rest of that. And of course, she was listening to me just that second in my in my office here. Oh, yeah, we got to leave that in. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know, it knows your heart rate, it knows your weight, it probably knows your blood pressure. Anything that you have that's wireless can go into that system, and all of a sudden it has a longitudinal view of you. And if it notices an, om- an anomaly, it can say, hey, um, how are you feeling? Um, is everything okay? Did you take your med? Uh, you know, it will see a trend that your physician can't see necessarily unless there's technology helping them along and that sort of brings us around to the central idea of the book the comparison to moneyball you know that it's it's the existence of data and a level of data that we never could have thought about years ago that uh just completely changes the game in how we do healthcare right no absolutely and if i can see if i have enough data and i can see patterns which you know, these systems do incredibly well is, is pattern recognition and identify that certain patterns are leading to something negative. Uh, I can get ahead of it. Um, you know, there are apps and technologies that uh, can sort of identify whether you have sleep apnea or that you have an arrhythmia or that you may be pre-diabetic. Um, if I can actually contact you and work with you in some way that keeps you from becoming full-blown diabetic or that potentially gets you on a CPAP or gets you to lose weight so that you can adjust from an apnea perspective, the comorbidities and the cost to the system would be enormous, Right? You could actually start to see the bend in the cost curve. But that's not fee-for-service medicine. That's outcomes-based medicine. Right? There has to be an incentive 
for the system to want you to be healthy. Right now, the incentive for the system is to do something. To, to, for there's a transaction to take place because that's how it's paid. Right. Well, uh, sensitive to the time, this has been a, a great conversation. I'm, I'm curious, Harry, what are you working on now? An, another book? Or I know you mentioned you have your own podcast, too. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, I'm, my day job is uh, a, a general partner at a venture fund, so I'm always looking at companies and investing in the space. Um, I just am uh, working on my third book now, and uh, I'm always doing my Moneyball Medicine podcast to, uh, you know, talk to interesting people and, and uh, talk about uh, new changes and uh how, how the whole system is, is being affected by technology. Awesome. Well, we'll make sure we include a, a link to that, too, and, and to uh, information about the book if people are interested in, in checking it out. I do think it's a nice overview um, if you're interested in the changes that are happening in, in healthcare and medicine right now. Um, it's, it, I, I find it to be a good read. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad you liked it. Well, thanks so much for joining me, Harry. Thank you. Great to talk to you. And that's it for this week's Himscast. As always, thanks for listening. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And stay safe. For Hims Media, I'm Jonah Comstock.